Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Chardell. And I'm Amber. And welcome to Centennial Week. Yay! This week is our 99th and 100th episode. I know. I can't believe it. Me neither. That went by really fast. Haven't even been a full year yet. No. February 6th is our launch date. That's, so that's crazy. That'll that's be coming our up. one year anniversary. We'll do something big for that. We have to. Yes. Maybe another giveaway. Ooh. That would be fun. Let's do something like I that. I like it. Yeah, me too. So we decided for Centennial Week that we're going to bring you two cases that are connected in a really strange way. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is how it all like shakes down. Yes, it is. If you will. So today I'm going to tell you about a horrible fungus of the earth. He really sucks. It's real bad. He's really bad. His name is Leonard Frazier. And then... Amber will, I'll kind of stop pretty much where yours starts, I think. I'm not really sure. We're kind of winging it. We are. We are an unscripted podcast, and so we're just going to kind of wing where we stop mine and start yours for Thursday. I have faith that it's going to intertwine perfectly. I'm not worried. We're professionals now. This is our 99th and 100th episode. Exactly. I mean, if that's not professional, I don't know what is. And if it doesn't work, we'll just edit it out later. Exactly. (laughs) Or you will. I I won't. Right, that's true. I'll figure out a way to make it flow. So, all right, let me tell you about fucking Leonard John oh, Frazier. Yes, let's let's talk about him. Oh, uh, we will. He was born in Ingham, North Queensland, Australia. This is an Australian case. There's some debate of whether or not he is Australia's worst serial killer or not. I really He's hope so that's gross. not like something to try to aspire to for people, but there it is. And apparently Ingham was a sugar-growing community, which I thought was kind of quaint. Hmm. It's got to come from somewhere. It does. I guess I've never really considered exactly where. Anyway, he was born there June 27th, 1951. So just slightly older than we are. Uh Uh-huh. Just a little bit. (laughs) He was the second youngest of four children. And when he was six, his fam... His family. His family (laughs) was uprooted. His family was uprooted. And they moved to a brick house in Mount Druitt in... Kind of like a blue collar uh, suburb of Sydney, Australia. It's Australia. <laughs> I love the R. Wow. The extra R. What I think is most interesting about everything I'm going to tell you is that really, according to psychiatrists that later examine, and there are plenty, Leonard does not have any early childhood reasons for becoming the absolute shit smear that he is. Interesting. Yes. He had, by all indications, a pretty typical normal childhood, other than frequent moves. His father was a machinist, and apparently in that time, that required a lot of travel. And so they traveled with him. At one point in time, I believe it was documented that he in one year had moved six times. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of being uprooted. Of course, he never really had the ability to 
develop any sort of meaningful friendships and relationships outside of his familial home. Which I'm sure that would be impactful as you're growing up. Absolutely. Forming connections with people, or if you do, then you're leaving. And yes, that that constant up and down. Yeah, that would be hard. Yep, yep. I'll I'll give you that. But that is the only remarkable thing about his childhood. Wow, that is notable. That could even somewhat indicate what he becomes. Other than we're going to get to his later adolescence, you'll see some things we're going to get to in just a second. But early childhood wise, no. Anyway, he was called Lenny. Really? Yep, in his childhood. So he's referred to that. I found that a lot. I like that better. Me too. So. Until he goes to prison one time and he's called Lenny the Loon. Oh, okay. Which, eh, all right. I kind of like that too. I will say, if you guys are interested, there is a really good book by Paula Doneman um, called Things a Killer Would Know. She did a really remarkable job. She's an investigative journalist and she started covering his crimes in detail and then did interviews with him and things like that and and wrote this book really good book so you can pick it up we'll link it in the show notes of course but you can find it just about anywhere audio even audiobook I believe I read it instead of doing the audiobook but just because it's faster so by the time that he was 14 he was really really struggling with school he couldn't sit still he couldn't retain information he wasn't interested in school at all Of course, the constant moving was very difficult with constant changing of Mm -hmm. schools as well. So education-wise, he really wasn't retaining a whole lot, bouncing from curriculum to curriculum and and things like that. Oh, I'm sure. So by 15, he completely dropped out um, because he really could hardly read. He had trouble writing. He could read a little, but it wasn't at the age level that he was at or that Mm -hmm. he should have been at and uh, had trouble even writing his own name. So by 15, he's done. By 15, he also was starting to get into some trouble on the streets. I mean, his parents decided, okay, if you're not going to be going to school and trying to make something of yourself, you need to get a job. You've got to live, you know, somehow. Well, he got into some habits of stealing, which ended up finding him into a boy's home. Oh, no. When he was 15, he was sentenced to 12 months in the Gosford Boys boys Home for stealing. And the boys' homes are as stereotypical as we would imagine. Every time I hear boys' home now, I'm like, shudders. Well, he was born in the 50s. So by the time he is 15, it's the mid-60s. They were horrible. And there were a lot of accounts of, of him discussing how he was raped frequently and Essentially, you had you had to learn early on. If you were one of the smaller boys, sex could be used as a currency in those oh, wow. homes. Or it could just be taken from you. Or bigger boys could make you currency mm-hmm. for other boys. I mean, it just was a dog-eat-dog world, essentially. Ugh, so horrible. The, those, the boys' homes, like if you read stories about mm-hmm. them, they are horrific. Yep. Yep. They are true crime stories in themselves. I oh yeah, we I could think cover, we could do all kinds of cases. Yes, maybe we'll them. put that on the list. Yes, they're horrible. It could be a themed week. We, it could be a themed like year. A whole podcast. We really, we could probably so, create a whole podcast on it. Oh uh, yeah, but anyway, so it is exactly as you're picturing, and I actually believe between the frequent moves and having difficulty developing interpersonal relationships, and then you mix it in with these boy home experiences, 
this is where the monster was created. Mm-hmm. I really I think do. You're probably correct on that. Um, soon after, so he did 12 months at the Gosford Boys' home, and then soon after that, he uh, received a two-year bond for assaulting a railroad guard and f- had further convictions for driving without a license, offensive behavior, stealing you know, cars, things like that. So for, for those crimes, he got 12 months of hard labor. After his hard labor, he was out of jail for about six months when he was then found guilty of transporting stolen goods into Queens, Queensland, which earned him two years probation. Five weeks later, after that, after his two years probation was over, he was sentenced to two weeks in jail in Townsville for stealing. So this is so just he perpetual. Is, yes. yes. From the time he was 14 on, he could not keep his nose clean. He had a habit of stealing, a lust for criminal behaviors. And really what it was was just if he saw an opportunity to try to make money, whether it was legal or not, he was taking it. I, some would say this is just survival. The, the conse- these were just the consequences of him trying to survive. And I don't disagree with that mm-hmm. necessarily. In 1972 in Sydney, he was fined $100 for living off from the earnings of a prostitute. And later the same year was given five years hard labor in Long Bay Jail for a string of robberies. Okay, so he's given that that hard labor in jail for a, a string of robberies. But what the investigators didn't know and it would take them almost two years to find out, was that two months earlier in 1972, two months before he was caught living off from the earnings of a sex worker and whatnot, Fraser had actually raped a tourist in, this, in Sydney's Botanical Gardens. And this is what goes down in his story as being the first known victim of his. Okay. Okay, this woman who... I will say the names of some of his victims, but others, I saw it redacted out of a lot of things. So that to me said they don't necessarily want their name and now by now their families may not want their names out Mm -hmm. there. So if it sounds like I'm being vague, I'm doing it on purpose. But this woman was visiting Sydney. She was actually a French tourist and she was visiting Sydney with her husband and two infant daughters. And she happened to just be walking in the gardens and asked Fraser for directions because she didn't know exactly how to get back to her husband and two daughters. Oh, my gosh. And something in him just snapped. Uh, he later would say that on that day he had just got into a argument with one of his flatmates and something just snapped inside of him and he drug her over to a banana tree, beat her endlessly. He has oh. a, a modus operandi basically of grabbing women by the arms and twisting their arms behind their back. So that's like a thing. That's a thing. This is typical of what he would do and then hit them repeatedly very hard in the head to Mm. knock them unconscious or at least get them to submit and fall down to the ground and then he would brutally rape them. So that is essentially what he does to this French tourist behind a banana tree I just feel so bad for her just asking directions like hey how do you get back to this place and look at what happened yes exactly and she did live but I mean she was brutally beaten she was brutally raped I believe that this was the one 
Um, and I may have to correct myself later, but I believe that she was so horrifically raped that she could not have children after this. Oh my gosh. Yes. So and she I was do just believe like, this was one. This was a vacation, right? Yeah. Were, she was just. Yes. How, am, how am I not supposed to strap a shank to my thigh the I, rest of my fucking I know, life? I think you should. Like, how am I not going to do that right. now? These, th- these are the things that I think, well, us as women in general, I will yes. say, this is, these are the most terrifying things because it's like this random, like you're on vacation and mm-hmm. you're with your family and mm-hmm. this horrific thing happens. Yep. And she was just trying to find her way back to her <sighs> husband and two infant daughters. So awful. Yep. I mean, she of course reported it to the police, but they didn't have any leads or anything until 1974. So at 10 o'clock in the morning on July 11th, 1974, this was just three weeks after Fraser was released from Long Bay doing his hard time for... So he, it sounds like he would get out... And not spend much time, like he would not be out long and he was doing something. That is also a trend that you're going to see through this entire It's like he just could not stay out of trouble. No, no, he absolutely didn't. And it didn't bother him to just I was just going to say, I wonder if he wanted to, Mm -hmm. sought it out, or it's fascinating to me. I think he's a pretty extreme narcissist. I don't think, I know that. A lot of the psychologist reports said that, um... And we'll, I will touch on the psychologist stuff in just a minute. He's just to give you a little bit of picture of him. He's about six foot, very well built. A woman really, a petite woman especially, really did not have a chance. And he, what we'll find out is that he typically, with the exception of the botanical gardens random act of violence, mm-hmm. he typically would target women who were vulnerable in one way or another, whether that be their lifestyle. He would often seek out women that um, were suffering from addiction in one way or another. He really, or um, he really sought out cognitively impaired. Women. Oh, and mm-hmm. sadly, predators, like we have said, they know they do. Who, who to look for, yep. what to look for. And I did see a picture of him when I was doing my mm-hmm. research, and he was wearing a pair of shorts that was way too short for him. Oh, 100%. But he is a good-sized man. Yeah. So I could yep. see him definitely overpowering. Did you notice how jacked his arms were in that photo? My eyes couldn't stay off the thighs <laughs> they, they went to they the thighs. were on the thighs I see. lots of thigh lots in the picture thigh. but he was just like a he was like a a girthy man yes yes most definitely and fun fact that photo was taken six hours after the crime that he ends up getting caught finally uh, that just gives for. me chills mm-hmm. And I just happened to notice, like, how jacked he looked and was like, well, yeah, I bet he still had all that adrenaline and everything pumping through him from oh, what probably. he did from his last crime, which we'll get to. Oh, Yes. He is so, oh, he is gross looking. He is, absolutely. He is gross looking. So after, he's, he's scary looking is what it yes. is. Like, heart, it's completely soulless when you look into his mm-hmm. eyeballs. I agree. Um, so three weeks after he's released from Long Bay, this is 1974, so it's two years after his first known reported rape of the French tourist woman, he approached a young married woman as she walked along a road in the Sydney outer western suburb of, suburb, excuse me, of St. Mary's and attacked her from behind. That's what he liked to do. He twisted the woman's arms up behind her back, forced her down on an embankment where he raped her. 
Now, he was quite often, and this is where the psychologist reports talk about his narcissism, he really believed that women enjoyed him sexually assaulting them. Ugh. He thoroughly believed that in his mind, that they wanted this, that they were enjoying it, and that is what he would tell himself to justify his actions. Ugh. He then walked his victim hand in hand back up the roadway before just taking off. That's another thing that he does is makes them walk with him hand in hand for a little while. Again, it's part of his fantasy that they wanted this to happen and that they were okay with it. Just six days later, at 9 p.m. on July 17th, Fraser assaulted a 20-year-old woman who was working alone in a nearby Mount Druitt dry cleaning shop. He followed her behind the counter, and when she went to look for his dry cleaning bag, he twisted one arm up behind her, and he went about to try to rape her, but was interrupted when uh, when other customers entered, Mm -hmm. and he fled. Just three days after that, at Rudy Hill, again in the same like proximity in Mount Druitt, he spoke briefly to a woman as she walked along a quiet road before he punched her in the face twisted her arm behind her back. They actually like struggled together towards a small creek. Now the woman at this time kept her senses about her and tried to convince him. And this worked because of the way the delusion that he is living in that women wanted this. Mm -hmm. So she stays calm and convinces him that she does want this, that she would like to have sex with him, but not here on the muddy bank. She'd like to go back to her place. So if he'll just walk with her they can go back to her place and you know she's down for this he's like okay let's let's do this and I'm sorry um not her bed he Frazier had decided that okay they can go do that in his bed all right okay gotcha so they're walking hand in hand down this road and she's found her opportunity and she fled and escaped oh smart woman yeah she was able to break loose from him she went to the nearest house called the police that sort of thing now, at this point in time, Frazier wasn't hard to find. He had left his wallet and his birth certificate at the scene. <laughs> oh, Leonard. In the little wooded on that road. First Oopsie. of all, who's carrying? Is this a normal? <laughs> hey, maybe some of our, our Australian like, listeners I want can to tell be us. strongly identified at all yes. times. <laughs> Who carries their birth certificate with them? I mean, I'm I am actually I commend him for keeping track of it. I lose mine all oh, right, the time. Right. Mine is always in my house somewhere, but which, you know, Same. safe or closet it's in, I I'm not sure I'm always having to search for it anytime I go to do some sort of official document. But he has his like but, in pocket yes. while he took it out, but Yeah, somehow, I don't know if it was with it in his wallet. Uh-huh. But they had they had him at that point in time. But I so just this love- is how they start to yeah. This is how he he comes under the radar as this rapist. Oh right? yeah, yes, yes. He was quickly located and taken into custody. As I'm sure oh. it comes as no surprise, the police were able to at least do that much. This might be my favorite oopsie of all time. Yes, like, not oops, just I an love- ID. <laughs> yeah. but a freaking birth certificate. <laughs> yeah. So if there was any confusion, yep. Like, here's other verification. Exactly. The only thing that he didn't leave was his passport and a fingerprint. (laughs) Right? Like, there's no other possible way to identify him. That is great. He actually readily confessed. 
to the two attempted rapes. All right. From because remember, I gave you I've now given you three attempts. Yeah. That that, he had. They didn't work. Yep. He would he maintained that the lady in the dry cleaning shop wanted him and was going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. So he would not admit to that. But it was at this point in time, this is 1974, he tells them about the French tourist. Oh, wow. Yeah, he admitted to that rape. They did not know about that. They didn't have him connected for it. Wow. But So I don't know if for him this was like a bragging thing. Mm, well, that would make sense. Especially since he thinks they want this. Yes. So I think in the way that the last three that they had him on were attempts, and he, he wanted to brag that he had successfully done this. You know, that, and we will obviously get to this in my portion, but that totally ties in with a few things I'm thinking of. Yeah. The bragging. Yes. For yes. sure. Yep. Yep. And so he confesses to this. I mean, the other thing to consider here, all of these took place broad daylight. He's not trying to hide no. any of this. This was all happening. The botanical gardens rape, everything is happening in broad daylight. At the time, they connect her, connect him with the 37-year-old tourist, French tourist that I had told you about earlier. And it happened at 10 a.m. The botanical gardens attack happened at 10 a.m. I know that, I mean, you would never expect that, you know, just in day-to-day life. Yeah. Shank and up, ladies. Right, because all she was doing in the gardens was getting some pictures when he emerged out of the shadows, attacked her, drug her behind a banana tree, and raped her. I mean, it was just such an innocent thing that she was just there for. Yes. So, and she had, she suffered multiple fractures to her face, was in severe shock for quite some time, it was reported as well. That sounds like such a horrific rape. And he supposedly told investigators that he was glad to have the crime off his chest at last, saying, quote, I don't know what came over me. I have always regretted it, end quote. Oh, so much that you continued doing it. That's just it. Like, nope, I don't think that you regretted any of it because then you go to prison for robbing, okay? You have hard labor or whatever, and you immediately start attacking women when you get out. So, no, I don't think, I think you just know that you're supposed to have, humans are supposed to have remorse. Yeah. So you're saying that. For sure. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is, I think I'm supposed to be sorry about this, so Mm -hmm. I'll say that. When he was interviewed by a psychiatrist in Long Bay Jail, Fraser said that at the time of the rape, the French tourist, that's when he was living off from the proceeds from the prostitutes that had worked the streets of King's Cross, and that he supposedly handled the bulk of the proceeds over to a minder, which flavor Frazier claimed to have been involved in numerous homosexual relationships and was not involved sexually with any of his alleged workers. So in other words, he's trying to claim that he is a pimp mm-hmm. and that he, this is the other thing that becomes a pattern for him of telling doctors and anyone really that will listen that he is a real big top dog in the underbelly of society. Like he always wanted to be a member of a bike gang. That was like a big fantasy of his. And so I do think that in his mind, when he's telling investigators and psychiatrists that he, you know, he's a real big dog in these these um, prostitution rings and all of this, what is considered more of, you know, the unsavory things of society. Mm-hmm. He wants people to think that he's really 
a big badass. Yeah. Sounds and like he, it. He's not. Like there's a lot of debate over whether or not he was ever actually a pimp of any kind, was ever living off from the proceeds of any sort of sex worker. It's very like, no, probably not. You probably weren't known to any criminal mastermind. So he ring. just liked to make himself sound like mm-hmm. he was involved in all of this. Yes. And- yep, exactly. When really he was at home sitting, you know, probably masturbating to pornography, if I had to take a guess. <laughs> in all reality. That's really all he was doing and <laughs> sucking his thumb. That's- Sock and, and uh, lotion on yeah. hand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's all that he was really doing. But he wants us all to believe that he was a big criminal mastermind, which I'm like, yes, you are such a mastermind that you got caught repeatedly stealing. Like you mm-hmm. couldn't even steal effectively. So no, you probably weren't running a prostitution ring. Thank you. One, yeah, that is a trend. He not only continues to reoffend, but then he gets caught just as Constantly. quickly. Yes. <laughs> yep. So one of the things that he did tell the psychiatrist is that he would be happy if he never saw his brothers or sisters again, that he hated his father and mother, and that his main ambition was to become a member of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. Wow. Which, I'm sorry, but Hells Angels is not going to take you, sir. Did he even ride a motorcycle? No. Oh, okay. Nope. This is gotcha. this is fantasy. And there's no legit real reason why he would hate his parents and brothers or sisters. I mean, there's... Interviews later, like, you have no idea. It's just, it's all just at the stu- time what he wanted stuff. to say yeah. to the psychiatrist. Yeah. In December 1974, at the Sydney District Court, Leonard Frazier pled guilty to two counts of rape and two counts of attempted rape. The court psychiatrist's disturbing assessment was that Frazier was beyond help. He has no conscience at all. And the doctor warned he will use anyone and anything to take advantage without giving a lot of thought to other persons, other people's feelings. He has little or no impulse control. And apart from this, there is no real psychiatric disability and there is no known treatment for this type of, of psychopathic state. So in other words... He is a danger to society. He will continue to reoffend, and there is no rehabilitation for this type of behavior. He likes to rape women. He believes that they want to be raped, and he has no remorse for it. How do you, you're a therapist, how do you rehabilitate that, Amber? You don't. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, yeah, not in my I office. I wouldn't want to take that chance. Nope. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Not not in my office are you going to no. do that. No. I mean, best of luck to you in prison. May you get some help. But right. do I want to take that risk with you out in society rehabilitating and Mm-mm. working on yourself? Uh, no. And this is 1974. In my mind, psychiatrists were not given the respect that they are today. Because, because of cases like this, it's like it took... Case examples like Leonard Shitstein Frazier to have other disciplines recognize psychiatry as a legit science. You know, it's like, amazing. Oh, that bastard knew what he was talking about after yeah. all. Some of the uh, assessments that we've seen in cases from this time, they're actually really good. Yeah. Like they nailed it. Yeah. But the, the assessment or the evaluation was disregarded. Yep. It was kind of just like tossed aside. When it came time for court sentencing and parole hearings and things like that. It was not regarded at all. And you that's know, what happens in this case. 
it, we see it happen so much. And some of the, you know, recommendations or, I mean, whoever evaluated that person nailed it. Yes. Like they will reoffend. They yes. are a threat. Even with it being the science of it being so young still. Yeah. Yeah. The, like, yeah. This, this guy this completely nails it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So with this in mind, Justice uh, Wooten sent Frazier to prison for a maximum of 22 years. Oh, and, wow. And reluctantly set the non-parole period at what the law demanded, seven years. So you get 22 years and you're not allowed parole for at least seven because that's what the law at the time said. And he said, quote, but I wish to make it clear in doing so that I am not in any way suggesting that you should be released at the end of that period. So even the judge is like, you shouldn't really be released and we're recognizing this. See, that's where I wish laws could be not so complicated because it's like if the judge feels like the person shouldn't be released, like why are they released? Yep. I don't know. I mean, call yep. me crazy for thinking this way, but but they're like, oh, it's it's the it's law. But and I get it. We need laws. I'm not disputing that. But it's like, come on. I, know. I, I, I do think that why do we make every I mean, everything is cookie cutter, right? And life and humans are not cookie cutter. So, yep, you've got a max sentence for this kind of thing for 22 years, no possibility of parole after seven. But we have, can we have the caveat here that there's a psychiatrist saying he is beyond help? Yeah, can we make some exceptions? So, okay, yep. So when there's that, now I can give you a more appropriate sentence, right? And it's so weird because it's like when I was in school, like all through school, it is pushed like case by case. No one, it's not, nothing is black and white. Yes. It is individualized. Yep. But then we have these laws that are like, except well, the sorry. law. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Everything's individualized <laughs> except for the law. I know. It's yep. so crazy. It's so bad. Like, sorry, I would like to keep you in prison for life, but <laughs> because, it's the law. Because you should so, be. Right. I just, it blows my mind. Yep. Now, interestingly enough, his mom, Daphne, was actually really happy that he got busted and that he got sentenced because she knows that there is something wrong with him. And she's like, at least I can go to bed at night when I hear the new, you know. Not worry about what he's doing out yes. there. She's like, I can go to bed at night and when I hear news of an assault or a robbery, I will know that it's not Lenny. Now, did she know what he did? Yes. Yes. And she, yes, she knew he was a troubled boy. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. This is going to really tick you off, but just strap in because right. it's the first of many. I'm buckling. He was released in 1981 after serving the minimum seven years. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Oh, yeah. Got 20, got sentenced to 22 and the judge is like, you can't parole for seven, but I would make it longer if I could. Mm. And instead, the parole board's like, psychiatrist, what? Those just, assholes don't know what I they're just, talking I about. I had a feeling as soon as you said the judge was yep. like, well, I would do more, but yep. like I had a feeling it was oh, going that parole way. Parole board's just like, sure. So, Come on, okay. Lenny. Lenny, you seem reasonable. Two rapes, two attempted rapes. Cool. We'll let you out. Cool, cool. Oh, my oh, gosh. A psychologist report or psychiatrist We're report not that read says this. you're not. Capable of treatment and getting any better. Oh, my Cool, God. cool, cool. Yeah. Here's a pack of Marlboros. <laughs> Best of luck to you. We're yep. not, we're not going to read this assessment. It was too long for us. <laughs> no, exactly. Sorry. That is probably exactly what it was. Lots of big words in it. Yep. It's the 80s now. Our hair is huge. 
Our music is loud. We're smoking everywhere, everywhere. indoors. Yep. No, so no insult to, to those. No ins- I mean, no insult. But oh, my we were, God. We were born in the 80s. We you were. Know, great things came out of the 80s. But Leonard Frazier getting Didn't released not. from jail is <laughs> no, not, it was one, not of one of them. It was not one of them. Now, interestingly enough, he made his way to McKay in Queensland and took a job as a laborer on the railroads. In 1982, he gained entry into a woman's house by showing interest in her car that she had for sale and once inside, grabbed her from behind and held her arm up her back as he had done to his previous attack attackees. And to the amazement of investigating officers, the woman said that she talked Frazier into allowing her to ring her husband while the physical assault was taking place. And during the call, Frazier took the phone fr- from from her and told the man, I hope you're not going to kill me. I just wanted to prove a point that somebody could break in and rape your missus. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. He did it supposedly just to prove a point that he could to this prove a point to this man. No, you did it because you have no impulse control and yeah. you wanted to do it. It's you wanted again, to do it. The middle of the day. She was selling her car. Like, you sought this out. You knew you could gain entry because she was selling her car. This wasn't a, I'm going to teach you a lesson. How long was he out again? Oh, this was less than a year later. There we go. He's he's reoffending. What? Uh-huh. Immediately. Now, what's this is what is worse. He was sentenced to two months in jail for aggravated assault on the woman. Because he actually didn't rape her. He just physically assaulted her. Yeah. Wow. Two months. Then when he got out of jail, he settled in Mackay again in the late in late 1982. And this time he met a woman named Pearl. They end up getting married. Pearl had a nine-year-old son. Um, they moved into a house that had been converted into apartments. And they actually had a daughter. Oh, wow. And um, she went by, I don't know if her name is Melissa. I just kept seeing her repeatedly referred to as Missy. So, and I won't give her what her last name is now because I'm sure she, it just doesn't need to be said. But she was known as Missy, so that's what I'm going to kind of go as. But for about three years, like two and a half to three years, he maintained the closest thing that could ever be seen as a normal life Okay, for him. He had a job. He had kids. He had a wife. And... In late 1985, things in the marriage started to to deteriorate, and it wasn't necessarily because he was out raping and pillaging, but more so just he's a very difficult personality, as I'm sure you've all gathered by this point in time. He's not nice to live with. Now, there wasn't any reports that he was beating his wife or anything like that. He was just obstinate, and so that started to take a toll from what I understand. It became just too much for for Pearl. Pearl had no idea of his history. Oh, Didn't know okay. he had been in prison before. Nothing. Until 1985, he started stalking a 21-year-old woman for several days as she went out on her daily walks at an isolated beach in Shoal Point near, it's just north of Mackay where they lived. After stalking her for several days, he gained his ap- opportunity and Fraser did brutally rape her, again by attacking her from behind, holding her arm up, and again in broad daylight. All of these Always things have happened in, in daylight. daylight. That's what that impulse control. That's where that psychi- the, the first psychiatrist was coming at saying he 
cannot be rehabilitated because he has no impulse control. He has no remorse. And he believes that these women want this. So that's why he's not trying to hide it by the shadows of darkness. Yeah. It was not hard to find him because the woman immediately reports to the police. Well, the police start interviewing close residents. This was like an isolated little private beach. So there were houses on the beach. Well, they started interviewing one of uh, the houses pretty close to where the attack had happened. And he was like, you know what? For the past several days, there has been a man that has repeatedly cut through my property. I've had to stop him a couple times, tell him to knock it off. Well, he was able to identify him as Frazier. It's amazing because he, like you said, I mean, middle of the day, does not try to hide this. He's not trying to be discreet. No. I even wonder if he purposely left his ID. You know what I That's, mean? Yes, like, that does make you look wonder. Look at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I, birth certificate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and really, he is not being held accountable. Seven yeah. years. You know, and prior to that, he hadn't done hardly anything except for 12 months, you know, hard labor. Which for a six-foot, well-built man, hard labor wasn't necessarily, at his age, I mean, he was young then, right. you know, wasn't necessarily a punishment punishment. If anything, it was keeping him in shape so he could continue yeah, to making, making him stronger. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well thought out on that one. In their defense, the hard labor was for robbery, not for, they right, didn't know right. he was a rapist at that point in time. So, given his record and his, what is clearly his calling card of of attacking the same way, the same type of, you know, woman, things like that. He was sentenced to 12 years in jail this time. And this time, Justice Darrington said he regarded the prisoner as a dangerous man who preyed on women who were strangers and alone. They, meaning the victims, would regard you as being the equivalent to a filthy animal, he said. It, meaning the rape, is one of the worst forms of degradation on another human being that you can think of, and it just deserves no sympathy whatever, whatsoever. Well, yeah. The judge also um, was critical of the way that Frazier had inferred that his victims enjoyed or wanted this sexual attention because he did it again during this tr- this mm-hmm. sentencing in this trial. It, it, was, it came out by the psychologists again. He's not changing how he's talking to the any of the psychiatrists. They give the same report as the one <laughs> before like, him. And I will say again. Yep. Yep. So you will be happy to know he did do all 12 years in the, the Rockhamptons, Rockhamptons Etna Creek prison. prison. Why are words hard? Prison. Prison. The prison. I do so much better when I'm not reading my notes (laughs) and just looking at you. Me too. When I'm trying to actually read, I'm back in kindergarten all over again, (laughs) barely surviving. The thing is, this is the prison where he became known as Lenny the Loon. Because of his severe, erratic, and unpredictable behavior, he had frequent violent outbursts. He would be triggered for no apparent reason. It was basically like spread around the prison that it's best to just give him his space. Ah. Like Lenny the loon will go crazy on you. You need to give him space. There was a story of an inmate had like kicked a soccer ball into his cell. And I guess he just went absolutely stark, raging, mad, beating the guy. And like it was horrific. Oh, over a soccer ball. Over a soccer ball entering his space. 
Like, whoo. holy cow. I mean, granted, I get kind of ticked off when I clean the house and then I find wrappers, cups. Same. Cereal bowls. Socks. Oh, socks. Always, Always socks. Just, like, what? And sometimes it's just one sock. Where's the other sock? Who's just taking off one sock? I know. Where's the barefoot? And then sometimes when they actually make it in the hamper with the socks, then the dogs will go get yes. a sock. Uh, just one. Yep. Yes. Yes. And drag it. It's so frustrating. I get frustrated too. Yeah. But... but I'm not going. Of course, my kids would probably be like, nope, you go st- Stark raging mad, mom. I mean, I don't Lenny the Lunum, all right? But <laughs> silver lining. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's just make merch that says, don't make me go Lenny the Loon. I think <laughs> that would be really catchy on a shirt, actually. Oh gosh. He did have to do all 12 years because every time he came up for parole, the parole board actually read the psychiatrist note that said he would reoffend should he be released. Oh. Yeah. But at the time, that's the maximum sentence that he could be given was 12 years. Because it's the law. Exactly. And I will say there was a lot of accounts, too, where he had many privileges in prison. Like, he did a lot of stuff outside of prison. Like, he was driving a car and, like, mowing lawns and doing all the, like, Australia, what's with that? That's terrifying. Yeah. Like, he was given certain, he was with guards, but he was out and given certain privileges. And I don't know if that's because he was such a terror that they're just like, fine, whatever he wants. We'll get him out of here and let him do some landscaping. Yes. I think it was, like, part of his hard labor stuff that they liked to enforce on people. I don't know. But he was, I, I found that really crazy where I was like, Wow, really? So it was it really that bad for him when he right. kind of seemed to have a little bit of freedoms while he was still in prison? Right. No wonder why he never learned a lesson. Yeah, he's doing enjoyable activities. Yeah, obviously he didn't mind hard labor. He worked on the railroads. So he was out in January 1997. He moved in with a terminally ill cancer patient in uh, Yapoon. How uh, does he find these people? He found her... Because she was pen paling. Okay. Now, he did actually almost marry a woman before. And I have I have her name as well. You know, my dating life isn't working out too well. Maybe I should pen pal. I think maybe you should start pen paling prisoners. It seems to really you work know, out for They them. need support too. They and... do. I actually had pen paled for quite some time with a woman named Betty Cuddy. They almost got married, and he was due for parole, but the parole was denied because they were like, no, you're going to do your 12 years this uh-huh. time. And so Betty was like, nope, you didn't get out. The romance oh. fizzled away. So he did start another pen pal relationship with Marie Chivens. And hers, she legitimately was just writing prisoners, you know. Okay. Well, they kind of formed a relationship she is diagnosed with terminally ill cancer, and as he, this all happens at the time that his 12-year sentence was coming to an end, and so he rapidly moves in with her. And she was terminally ill. She was terminally ill with cancer, and they move in together. It develops into a sexual, rela- a sexual relationship with him becoming progressively more aggressive. She did have to move to Brisbane for treatment for her cancer, and... This absolutely set Frazier off. 
like you are not going to move away from me. He didn't care that it was for her cancer treatment. She refused to come like back into their house in Yepun, however you pronounce that. Yepun, perhaps? I don't know. There's two P's and two O's. So I might be putting too much emphasis on poon, but I think think they said it on one of the things that I listened to and I think it was Yapoon. Okay. But it really looks like Yapoon. When someone writes us and we're both wrong. (laughs) For sure. We accept that. that. Yeah. We understand. (laughs) We understand. I wasn't sure that poon should have had the emphasis, but it's, it sounds, it feels good coming out of my mouth. You know what? We'll go with it. It feels right. It does. Yep. So she's like, no, I'm not coming back to Yapoon. I am going to stay here in Brisbane where my cancer treatments are. So he goes up to Brisbane. He goes to the hospital. He takes her down to the hospital chapel and he rapes her. Oh my gosh. A terminally ill cancer patient who was pen paling him. And I mean, they did have a relationship, but at this point in time, it's pretty clear that she's at the end of her life, that she's there for treatments to help give her a little bit more prolonged life. I am done with him. Previous to this, to her moving to Brisbane, her family noticed bruises on her, the change, her withdrawal, she was withdrawing, and the changes in her. And she actually had told a friend, if I die of anything other than cancer... It was Leonard. Oh, my gosh. And her mom had a conversation, like, confronting Leonard about, I don't like the way that you're treating my my daughter. This was outside of a little shop in Yapoon. And he had said, if we weren't standing in front of this shop, I would slit your throat. All right. Yeah. He is dead to me. Yeah, this guy Not is, that he wasn't before. Right. No. But now he really is. He is. He's whale shit. He is so... A heaping pile of whale Oh, my dookie. gosh. He's a horrible person. Yes. Yep. Maybe and I will hold off on the pen paling. I mean, it's probably not a good way. Just be selective. Maybe <laughs> rapists, murderers. Skip on those. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to say, how about a cute little grandma that's just doing some hard time? But that could get you Dorothea Puente. Dorothea. So, we can't... No one is safe. No one. No, no one. That's Maybe so, just... I get it, though. I mean, a little for grand, whatever. You know what? Some grand larceny, maybe some arson. I'm okay with we that. We could maybe write someone. Yeah, that's, I'm okay with those things. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I <laughs> I just, I feel so bad for her because she's like dying of cancer and then, the, and she's in this horribly abusive relationship with this scrub of a human. Now, I found conflicting information on this, but one uh, source said that It was six months after the rape that she died, and another source said that it was two weeks later. That's so so much worse, too. And she told the hospital's social worker and her mother of the rape before she had, during her last days. That is so So, awful. That's the type of monster that we're dealing with, and he only gets worse from here. And I will trigger alert you, I apologize, because we didn't trigger alert about rape before, but I will trigger trigger alert you to childs some mm. child things that come up so at this point in time this is 1998 Frazier returned to live in Mount Morgan a mining town that had about 3,500 residents and he was still in like he's on the southeast side of Yapoon and near Rockhampton uh, which he does become later known as the Rockhampton rapist and it didn't take long take long 
before the locals were talking about the strange man who had come to live in their quiet little town. Because 3,500 people, that's not a lot of people. Oh, you're going to be talking. Yeah, and some people have more Facebook friends than that. Yes. I mean, really. Our town is a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. And even if I see something out my window, I'm screenshotting it to you. Right, always. Like Like the lady laying in the road. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if there's a strange person, I'm going to be screenshotting that. Even if it's your crazy neighbor laying in the road. Which I love. I make no apologies. Oh, as you shouldn't. Just uh, anybody out there know, if I am your neighbor, I am watching. (laughs) That's right. I am observing and I am gossiping. And I know, well, if it's deserving of it. (laughs) Yes. Like laying in the road in front of a police car in an attempt (laughs) to distract them. Yes. Like, I just know I will be yes. talking about you. Really, only just to me, from what I can tell. Yeah, I yeah, mean, absolutely. But it will now, be passed along. Now to the whole world as yes, we just now to the world. It. It's fine. <laughs> we didn't, it's not like we gave her address and name. I am. Social security right, number. Right. I am the neighbor with the vacuum outside. Yes. Watching. Watching. Always. Vacuuming the front yard. <laughs> It was not long after moving to this quiet little town that an intellectually disabled woman had oh, no. Com- no, no. Had, had complained to police that Fraser was annoying her while she was riding on the bus. Fraser was seen roaming around the town at all hours of the night and day when the local school came like released and got out. He was waiting at the front gate. So this town is like they're watching. They're, him. they're noticing. Like, this man mm-hmm. is Suspicious. He would try to strike up conversations with any female, young or old. In my mind, he was stalking. He was looking. For, he was praying. He was on the hunt. He was on the prowl. He was looking for opportunity. He frequented employment agencies that serviced the intellectually handicapped in search of female partners. He mowed lawns and drove drove children to school for gas and beer money. Drove children to school. I need a moment. Parents are like, oh, you need gas and beer money? Here, take the kids. Take the kids to school. Do me a solid and take my kids to school. You seem like a stand-up guy that needs gas and beer money. And when you see him. Right. Right. When you're looking right down the cavity, the anal cavity of the devil. He is so creepy. In his, where his eyes should be. I don't even care if we're talking 90s, like the sight of him, he is very creepy. There is no part of me that would be like, sure, take the kids. Right. No, no. It's like the devil's orbs up in that face. Oh, my God. It really is. I can't. I can't handle this. So, toward the end of 1998, Fraser moved into an apartment in Rockhampton, which is a little bit bigger. It had a population of 62,000, but he moved in with an intellectually handicapped 19-year-old Christine Wright. He, why is he plaguing these towns? Uh, well, like, I right. need him to just stop. Because he's a predator. I I need him to stop moving into towns and, like, just plaguing right. them. He, that's exactly what he's like. He is. He's like a plague of lotuses just <laughs> swarming over. He is. It's like he comes and grooms and finds these vulnerable people, and he just, like, yep. puts his icky, disgusting and self into. What's horrible about his relationship with Chrissy, this 19-year-old cognitively impaired girl, which to give you some perspective of how cognitive, cognitively impaired she was, she couldn't tell time by anything other than the programs on the TV. Aww. That's how she knew like it was dinner time or it was morning. Yeah. Just on what was on TV. And that is who he was living with. Now, the police of Rockhampton did have some involvement with him for domestic violence, but because of Chrissy's easily manipulatable mind, Frazier was able to 
convince her to drop any charges, not press charges, and there wasn't anything the police could do, even though they could they knew what was happening. But I'm like, excuse me, where is Adult Protective Services, Australia? Thank you. She's not cognitively competent. She shouldn't be making any of those decisions no. when there's abuse happening to her, so obviously. So sad. And actually, in April 1999, another woman and her 11-year-old daughter moved into a spare room in Chrissy and Leonard's apartment to try to help them pay rent, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's just a subletting situation. And it didn't last long because the woman like could tell that Frazier was preying on her daughter. There wasn't any information that he had actually raped her or touched her. It was like, sounded like mom caught on to grooming behaviors. Oh, thank God. Uh-huh. And moved them out pretty quickly. Thank God that she listened to those instincts and got yes. out of there. And here's, here's the kicker and warning to animal cruelty. Just oh. so you guys oh. know. No, I cannot handle this case has it all. This case has it all. This is our centennial event. (sighs) You're Uh, right. We had to have it all, didn't we? We we did. The only thing I don't have is cannibalism. Mm. And that's it. No, you know what? You're right. There's no cannibalism in this case, but But there is everything else. You know, over this past year, we've had a lot of it. We've had enough enough barbecues to last us till next summer. (laughs) Yep. For sure. So it's okay that it's not included. Um, So he did end up, him and Chrissy did end up getting kicked out of that apartment complex when the landlady caught him having sex with his blue healer cattle dog in the backyard. Oh, God. What is wrong with him? So much. I've been trying to tell you for an hour now. (laughs) Everything that's wrong with him. You know what? You have. You have been. (laughs) Have you not been listening? Just when I think he cannot be any more disgusting. He fucks a dog. His own dog. That poor dog. Without any peanut butter. It's just... Awful. He was probably mean to the dog, too, because he looks like just a horrible person. Well, I hate to tell you the next sentence, but the dog died several (gasps) weeks later from rat poisoning. I don't know. I don't know. I won't even pretend to know. Did he poison his own dog? Did someone else see what he was doing to the dog and put the dog out of its misery? I don't know. Oh, this poor dog. I have a suspicion. everything. I have a suspicion that he killed the dog to try to... Like to stop his up. own behaviors. Oh, okay. Um, because he did get, that is why, he got caught. So that's why he got kicked out of that flat. Why? I, what, and just so many Chrissy, whys. With Chrissy being cognitively impaired, I just can't imagine what Aww. he, you know, how he manipulated her with the dog. And... Like no one deserved to have him in their lives. No. It's awful. No. The dog, the poor dog. The poor dog. Poor Chrissy. She's like, sorry, my boyfriend's, Having sex with animals, got to move. Yep. And she was living there before him, right? Yes. Look at, oh, he's like a cancer. Yes. He's worse than a cancer. He's worse than a cancer. I don't think cancer fucks your dog. He is a, what are those boils called? Carbuncle. He's a car, (laughs) he is a carbuncle. He is. I did not know where I, we were going with that. But you're holding not your hand. That before. <laughs> you're holding your hand out from your head. Like a big, bulging. 
boil. He's a yeah. boil on every. He's a carbuncle on everyone's ass. He really is. Yeah, that's a great it's word. A good word. Also, he kind of looks like one. His face is totally carbuncle. Oh, it is very much a carbuncle. <laughs> I like it. I'll just. We should just title this episode Carbuncle. Carbuncle. <laughs> the Carbuncle of Society. Oh, it just. You can just see him just like bleeding onto all these people. Yeah. All of this, the horrible things he does, and just oh, makes yeah, me absolutely mad. hate him. And since we already hate him, I'm going to take you to what I think is the most horrific crime that he commits. And then it's going to lead us into how he gets caught for other things. Okay. So it's like at this point, I'm telling you the end first and then we're going to go backwards. But it's because this is how the investigation played out. Gotcha. So on April 22nd, 1999, this is shortly after he was kicked out because it was April, like early April that he is caught with his dog, okay, and kicked out. So April 22nd, 1999, nine-year-old mm. Kiera Steinhardt disappeared when she was, ta- was taking a shortcut through a vacant lot on her way home from school. Now, what is heartbreaking to me about Kira is that this was only her second day being allowed to walk home from school. I read that. I naturally came across this yes. on my, so I'm, I'm glad I had some time to prepare because it's yeah. heartbreaking, but I remember that was her only, her second only day. Only her second day. On her first day, he did stalk her route. He, he was stalking her and walking behind her on the first day. She just didn't notice. And walking home from school was something that she had earned by turning nine to her parents. Like it was, yeah, it was like a right of a right of yes, yep, you're you're a big girl, Mm -hmm. yep. And so there were eyewitnesses to this abduction. I can't get over that part. I'm not over it yet. No, I know. Not over. I was really, really shocked when I read this. So Lynette Kiernan, she lived opposite of the vacant lot, and. Her and her husband were sitting on their back, like, patio, what in America we would call a patio. I think they call them verandas over there. But um, she said that she saw, she told police that she saw a man catch up with, with nine-year-old little girl, who happened, who we now know is is Kira, hit her from behind in the head. The child fell to the ground. And from her vantage point, Lynette Kernan couldn't see Kira in the long grass, but she could see what we find out to be Leonard Frazier fall on her and essentially his body moving up and down in the tall grass, which she deduced meant he was raping her. Okay. He, she couldn't see the whole thing from the slope and with the, the tall grass, but one can can imagine when you're witnessing yeah. this and his body's moving up and then disappearing and then up again, we know what's going on. Now then, Frazier ran away and returned shortly after with a car, lifted the little girl from the ground and put her in the trunk of his car and drove away. And no one thought to go check on this little girl. That is the part that I cannot get over. You saw him hit her over the head. There is never a justified reason for a grown-ass man to come up behind a small girl that was clearly just released from school, hit her in the head, and you don't call the police right away? No, nope, never going to be okay, ever. No, and I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like I am, am shaming her, because, I mean, it did say in several sources that they were terrified of repercussions, but it did take them 20 minutes to get the courage up 
to make an anonymous call to the police. And actually, before they called the police, they called a friend to ask a friend for advice, but the friend wasn't home and didn't pick up the phone. I'm trying not to to be... I'm trying here. I, it's... Uh, it's, I guess... Our listeners, if you have been with us for 100 episodes now, they know what we're thinking. They know that they we're know assholes. Us. And no. they know we are not <laughs> no, okay with this. I, I mean, I will say this. It is easy to hear the information and say, I would have done this. I get it. But it is hard for me to wrap my brain around seeing that all unfolding and mm-hmm. not at the very least calling right then. Yes. At the ver- that, like, with, that's with very your, least. With your anonymous call. I'm thinking cast iron skillet. I'm thinking whatever. Getting, the yeah. Back getting of the head. my thigh shank, my yes. any guns that I can muster. But at the very, very least calling right then when you saw that happening. I get being scared. We, I get that. We saw frying pans work out wonderful for Rapunzel Entangled. My, yes. My cast iron. That'll knock a bitch out. It would, for sure. But he was a big, hideously scary carbuncle. I get being scared, but it's Mm -hmm. like 20 minutes? 20 minutes is a long time. Knowing that she was laying there and that he had run away and you could have went and grabbed her. That part, Um, I'm I'm sorry, I can't um, find any any justification for that one. They figured that by the time they did make the anonymous call to the police... Uh, Kira was dead and disposed of already. So, I mean, at that point in time, the police weren't going to really. (laughs) So horrible. Again, I'm not, at least I called, at least, you know, some of this is hard for me to wrap my brain around. I'll, I'll throw this out there too while we're trying to make some sort of sense of this information. Um, we don't know the crime rate in the area. We don't know if this was a harder, more of a harsher neighborhood where snitches end up in ditches with more than stitches. Yeah, we've seen people hate snitches. Yeah. I've heard that's like the worst thing. So, I mean, I'll throw that out there, but I don't know. And if you're just going to call it in anonymously anyway, why not do it immediately? Yeah. And it's, I mean, if they were truly like paralyzed with fear, like I said, it's easy to say like, oh, I would have done this. Maybe they were just so taken back by what they saw. They just didn't. Yeah, maybe so, they were in a state of shock. But at some point in time, so they came forward and weren't afraid anymore because we know their names and know yeah. the whole story now. And was it after he became famous for what he did? I, and you, like, jumped into that limelight? I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I don't know. So many Perhaps things. the investigative journalist that wrote the, this book, Things a Killer Would Know, found them. I don't. I'm not sure. It's just so. I'm not privy to that information. It's so tragic. And sh- and Kiara was so cute. Oh, she, she was, was adorable. cute. With the cutest little overbite. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Her overbite and her mm-hmm. little, like, haircut. Mm-hmm. She was just adorable. And, oh, this one she just was. made me sick. Yep. Mine t- me too. Now, they did, they were able to identify Kira right away because her belongings at the scene, like, I think there was something from her um, backpack that said her name. So they called her parents right away. And her parents didn't even know she was missing. They were at work. They assumed she had walked home and was home. So oh her, she didn't even really have a chance to be reported missing, which is so unusual. Like the way that this shakes down is so unusual that there would be an eyewitness. And it goes to show his impulse control because it's broad daylight. It's three something in the afternoon. I don't know why, but that part just like got me the worst. Just thinking about her little backpack and like 
them yes. finding some like just and the parents not even having time to know that their daughter's missing before yeah. they're getting phone calls from the police that something horrific has happened to her. It just now, shows at that the point innocence in time, of her and like they didn't have her body at that point in time. They just knew that it was her that had been abducted. Okay, so they didn't know that she was not alive. And, oh. and so when the police called his, the parents, they did not know that, that she, she was wasn't dead. alive. Yes, they just knew she had been abducted at that point in time and had a, um, they had a description, you know, from the callers and things like that. They also had a vehicle, Red Mazda, okay, to go by. So that day they were able to trace Frazier through the description of the, the um, Red Mazda 626 sedan and not only that, but one of the police officers, he was actually off duty at the time, had seen Frazier at the school earlier that day and like knew him from the jail. Okay. From the local jail. He had known him from the domestic violence things with Chrissy and whatnot. So he was like, wait, I, I recognize that description, know that car, saw him at the school. So that's how they were able to come down on him pretty quickly for this and that's when that picture was taken of him in the shorts that was this that was taken just six hours after he had killed kira i also want to mention that he like his outfit was very distinct i mean people remembered it was like a white shirt and fluorescent yellow shorts or green shorts Shorts that are so short i could probably see the end of his ball sack (laughs) vibrantly colored so yeah so several people like remembered seeing him in that yeah so again going back to that like he did not care if he was trying to be incognito at all no and no and i only have like a snippet of that in mind because it kind of aligns with my case Mm -hmm. and i didn't know like the back history of all of the times he had been so just out in the open Mm -hmm. and it just makes me sick because i was thinking when i read it like this guy is not discreet at all well it's his pattern of Not caring if he gets caught or seen. And that psychologist saying he is going to re-offend. Yes. Not only that, but the psychiatrist psychiatrist reports from when he was imprisoned for 12 years had said he will escalate to murder. And he did. Yes. And that is what we're seeing happening. He was released in 97 and in 98 is is when that all starts to shake out. And I didn't mention this before, and I apologize, but when he went away for those 12 years... Pearl did divorce him. Uh, you know, I mentioned the breakdown of their marriage just three years after they got married. Uh-huh. But once he was convicted of um, stalking that woman on the beach and raping her and was convicted for the 12 years, like she had had no idea that he was that type of man. Uh, he was capable on some level of living a double, mm-hmm. you know, sort of life here. It was two weeks before Frazier broke enough to confess to actually murdering Kira and took police to her naked body. He had abandoned her on a thick bed of grass near the Rockhampton race course. Her throat had been cut. He admitted to strangling her, suffocating her, and then eventually cutting her throat. In a weird thing, he actually had draped her um, school jumper uniform over her torso and body, like as if to like give her some modesty after brutalizing her. And now even worse, when questioned by investigators, Chrissy, remember his mentally impaired yeah. Yeah. flatmate slash girlfriend, she had she said that they went for a drive um, the day that Kira had went missing. And they went along uh, Rockhampton's race course. 
and she recalled seeing a blonde doll in the back seat or in the trunk. Again, that's how cognitively mm-hmm. impaired she is. I'm sure Fraser convinced her that it was a doll that he was just tossing away. Mm-hmm. And she didn't, I mean, she's not going to jump to he's murdering, you know, not when she's that cognitively impaired. So he also did tell her she wasn't allowed to watch what he was doing. So she didn't. She this said, is so, just so sad. It is. She said that he removed what looked like a blonde doll wearing a green school uniform from the trunk. And that when Fraser saw her looking, he dropped what he was carrying and went back to the car, reached into the window and punched her. She then looked straight ahead. And after a little while, Fraser got back into the car and drove away. She said that when they returned home that evening, evening, Fraser washed the trunk of the car out thoroughly. So there were DNA samples taken from the blood and the hair found in the trunk of Fraser's car. They did match those of Kira Steinhardt. But there was also another female's blood on the trunk hinge and in a cigarette paper in the glove box. So now they have to send that in, all right? On May 7th, Leonard Frazier was charged with the rape and murder of Kira Steinhardt. Amazingly, uh, Frazier pled not guilty to the charges, okay? I'm not even surprised. No, right, right. In September of 2000, he was, he pled not guilty. You know, the prosecutors are like, I'm sorry, but he attacked this little girl for nothing other than sexual gratification. And why would he follow a nine-year-old into a parking lot and hit her so hard over the head that she dropped to the ground? And why did he strip her naked? Okay. They also had the eyewitness account. Right. I mean, it was very obvious that he had done this, but yeah. knowing how he is, I am not surprised that he... Blood not guilty. Yep. During, I'll just tell you a little bit about the tr- the um, trial and possible reasons why he thought he could get away with not guilty. Now, the prosecution had the eyewitness from, you know, the um, Kiernan's. Also, the information from investigators, information from Chrissy. But in the autopsy report, it was saying that due to the advanced decomposition of her body, it was impossible to determine exactly how she died and if she had been sexually assaulted. Oh, so he thought he had a chance of getting he pled not guilty that he could actually get away with this yep 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 exactly so that's why the prosecution's like no we have this eyewitness account we have the account of Chrissy there was also a conversation a tape recording conversation that Frazier had in the Rockhampton like jail with another prisoner of how he had disposed the knife that he had used to to cut Kira's throat and he had hid it hid it in a peg box in his apartment and that knife was found in that peg box in the apartment oh, wow. after the inmate did come forward okay so i know sometimes with inmates coming forward we're a little like uh, yeah this I mean, was legit this, mm-hmm. true okay Yep. I also forgot to add that in 1974, when he went, he was on trial, he represented himself. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. And I, that just popped into my mind from the book. And I, you know, I wanted to add that in. I just always appreciate it when people represent, represent themselves. themselves. Yes. Yeah. So for those two murder and two assault charges, he represented and himself. It's always the most ridiculous people that do it this. Is. They're the like, most, you know what? I'm the gonna... most narcissistic. Oh, for sure. I don't need a law degree. Hands this is easy. Down. Yes. Yeah. Because they know that they can just manip- try to manipulate yeah. and argue, even though, I mean, thankfully it doesn't. Well, I don't want to say usually work because who knows, but right. I, they totally are master manipulators. So they're going to 
try to do that in any way that they can. Mm -hmm. Of course they're going to represent themselves. Yep. The other thing is that throughout his whole life, he would talk about how much he hated pedophiles. Oh. And sexual offenders. Well. Don't we always hate in others what we see in ourselves mm. that we don't like? That quote, recognize mm -hmm. the person as you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when he was originally charged, he offered an apology to Kira's parents saying, I'd like to say to her mother and father, and I know a lot of people won't believe me, but if you check my background, it's not my go-to to harm a child. I'm just sorry this is happening, and I don't know what made me do it. At least I can try to. I'm going to try to get help after I get sentenced and all. So that's a good step. Oh, off, off, Leonard. So he was found guilty of the abduction and murder of Kira Steinhardt at Rockhampton on April 22nd, 1999. And at his sentencing on November 9th, 2000, he was labeled a sexual predator of the worst kind. So there he is sentenced to, he was sentenced to life in prison, okay, for her murder, for this child's murder. Well, then we get to the point where we find out more evidence. Remember that blood that yes. was also found in his car? Well, that was said, that was discovered to belong to Sylvia Maria Benedetti. She was 19. She disappeared on April 17th, 1999. Kiera's murder and rape happened on April 22nd. So four days before Kira, Leonard lured her to an abandoned hotel under the guise that they were going to smoke weed together. Like, come with me to this hotel. It's not vacant anymore. We can smoke some weed. So she goes with them. It was extremely dark in there. And they go to room 13. He does what he always usually does. Comes up from behind her. Hits her with... Um, what was described as like a heavy wood, wood piece of wood. But he brutally beat her so bad that there were blood splatters all the way up on the 12-foot ceilings. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. He, of course, rapes her both, both post-mortemly and prior to her death. And then in a true act of horrific monstrosity, he, like, took her body over a drain and essentially, like, bled her out. Oh. Like you would like an animal at a slaughterhouse, essentially, which is what he basically treated her like. Then what ends up happening on the 22nd, he murdered Kira. Well, then he finds out the very next day that the hotel is going to be uh, demolished. Well, he left Sylvia's body in, mm -hmm. uh, in the, the hotel. So he goes back after he killed Kiera, puts Sylvia in the um, trunk oh, of the car. Okay, so that's, that's why, why her blood, blood ends up gotcha. there. Mm -hmm. Gets rid of her body. Her body's not found for 18 months. Wow. So to her family, she went missing right, right. for 18 months. So yeah, so Sylvia was only 19. They found, uh, in room 13, found bone fragments of her jaw in the carpet. And in the downstairs freezer, they found her clothing and shoes that were submerged. There was a bunch of um, filthy water at the bottom of the freezer, probably from all the, when it melted, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, down there, that's where he had hid all of her clothing. Uh, they also were able to connect Sylvia with, Frazier because he was you know 
they were seen together with that whole marijuana thing. Um, and he later revealed that he led her to the hotel, that they were you know, going to smoke some pot. This leads them to start looking at other missing women in the area that might have a connection with him. Mm-hmm. And they find Julie Dawn Turner. She was 39. She was missing and she had worked with Frazier for a couple of months in 1998 at the Rockingham um, Abattoirs. She went missing on December 28th, 1998. When she left Rockhampton's airport uh, Liberty nightclub in the early hours, she was in an intoxicated state. She didn't have any money. She was asking around for enough money to get a cab. And when none was forthcoming, she started walking. And from there, she disappeared. Julie had previously told friends that she was moving in with a guy named Lenny, but hadn't elaborated any further. So they then, now remember, he's in prison already for Kira's Uh, murder Mm -hmm. so they start connecting these other missing women and asking him about them and he's confessing as they're asking him then there's beverly doreen lego she was 36 she met fraser at a mount morgan um, hostel where he was staying in 1997 right after being released from prison from those 12 years and she was last seen on march 1st 1999 at a bank doing some banking by the east street mall so they were they go and ask him about her as well he led them to their bodies, mm-hmm. all right? So he drew maps. That's how they were able to confirm that. And Julie, I did want to put in this. I did read an article about Julie Turner. She, Like I said, she was 39 at the time that she went missing. She had, I believe, four children. And her daughter came out and did some interviews and had said that when her mom went missing, she had young children of her own. And she feels like, because her, Natasha, or excuse me, Julie's body wasn't found for quite some time. So she was missing for that whole amount of time. And then to find out her mom was a murder victim, she believes it had a really strong impact on her parenting of her children that were young at the time. Sure. I can understand that. Yeah. And that she, you know, she feels like she wasn't giving 100% of herself And then now in recent years, her son has been put in prison for 10 years for manslaughter. And she wonders how much of an influence is because of, you know, her absence emotionally Mm -hmm. when her children were growing up from this horrific way that her own mother was taken from her. And it's like that is the thing that gets me is just the way that generationally stuff like this has such a profound impact. It is like the butterfly effect. And it's heartbreaking. It is. I know. And like, I mean, we've been saying it the whole time. Leonard is, he's a carbuncle. Yeah. And like everywhere he goes, he's just leaving these. Trails of destruction. Horrific traumas Mm -hmm. on families. And it just. And this is all we, you know, know about really. I mean, I do wonder how many more there are. And there's a lot of speculation out there. I'm not even going to throw those numbers out because we don't really even know. But I'm going to bring you to our last person because this is where you're going to pick up. Mm -hmm. Natasha Ryan. She was 14 when she had disappeared on September 2nd, 1998. Now, keep remember, everyone keep in mind, it was early 19, it was January 1997 that he was released from doing his 12-year stint for rape of the, the lady on the beach. We know that he then went immediately, at least in March, and killed Beverly Dorleen Lego. Then he went and killed Julie Dawn Turner in 1998 that would have been December 1998 so September 2nd 1998 Natasha Ryan went missing she was only 14 like I said 
She was on her way to a North Rockhampton school in the same area where Kiera Steinhardt was killed, and it was discovered that Natasha went to the same bowling alley every Friday night that Frazier liked to frequent. Now, after her disappearance and as they're investigating and figuring out all these other women that are connected, missing women that are connected with Frazier, they bring in Natasha's mother, Jenny, and show her a photo board of people. And Leonard Frazier was a man that Jenny identified as a man that she recognized that was lurking around the bowling alley every Friday night and that Natasha went there frequently as well. Mm-hmm. So the police go to Leonard and ask about Natasha. And he admits, he's like, absolutely, yes, I, I, kill, I killed Natasha. He told not only police, but also that jailhouse informant that I told you about before that yeah. knew where the knife was going to be. He told that, yep, he had killed Natasha Ryan, saying that the murder weapon was a knife, would never be found. He said that Natasha had asked him for a lift to a beachside town in Yapoon and was knocked out after falling asleep on his shoulder in the car. Frazier also said that he had disposed of her body underneath a mango tree and that it had been removed by a, some mystery man named Casper who moved it to Yama. I love Yamba. how this is just his ta- like conversation with, yep. like, no big deal. Yep, I, this is what I did. Yep, yep, exactly. So that's where I'm going to leave you because we know he's in jail for life for killing Kira. Mm -hmm. We now know that he has admitted to and been forensically connected to because he had drawn maps of where he would, the bodies would be found Mm -hmm. of his other murder victims. Okay. Even though it is during his, his already him already serving his life sentence, but now he's being retried for all of these other murders, Julie Turner, Beverly Lego, and Sylvia Benedetti. Okay? Okay. And also Natasha Ryan, because he admitted to it. And so that's where I'm going to leave you, and Amber's going to pick up with the next part of this case. Very interesting twist that comes. Very. So if you're a Patreon, you will get the episode right away. You can join us, Crime Curious, at patreon.com. Um, all of our episodes are have early access. Our Patreons get early access to them on top of bonus episodes for the um, month as well, each month. Um, otherwise, if you're not a Patreon, you'll have to wait until Thursday to hear the rest of the story. And don't Google it and ruin it for yourself, you no, guys. No, do not. Don't. I know it's going to be hard. It is. It's going to be so hard. So either join Patreon for a month or... <laughs> Or, um, you mean when we put your you phone down? I know we yeah. just probably gave you Google the idea it. where you're like, I'm gonna Google it. I'm gonna Google don't, it. Google don't Google it. it. Just sit in suspense, marinate in suspense for three to four Several days. Several days. Yeah. Or maybe you're not listening to this till like Tuesday and it's only gonna be two days. I don't know. But maybe you're binging us right now and you can just move on to the next episode. If so, that's cool. Or try to guess what is gonna happen next. Because yeah. you yeah. won't believe it. You really won't. Absolutely. So. Uh, before I end, though, I do have a brain bath for you. Oh, good. Was- I need one because I am so over him. Yeah. And I'm Me just, too. I'm done with him. He's a horrible person. I need, I need to cleanse. I, what, let me cleanse you with the help of one of our listeners who sent this to our Instagram oh, account. 
So, and this is from, I believe I did not, I don't have permission to use their name, so I'm not going to, but what was really cute is in the message was she, she said, here, this is for, I think she said, this is for your brainwash. Oh, I love that. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, that is actually really funny. Yes. I like it. For brainwash. The, for the brainwash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the title is, and this is from WTHR13.com. I'm looking for love. 66-year-old Texas man buys a billboard in hopes of finding, quote, a good woman. I'm fully listening already. This is like, what you should be doing. Oh, my gosh. I get need a, a freaking billboard. Get a billboard. I'll start you a GoFundMe for a billboard. I, please do. A billboard has been up for a few months, and now he's getting anywhere from 30 to 40 calls a day. But Jim Bays, Jim, I'll say his name again because I really didn't say that well. Jim Bays is hoping to find him some love. Aren't we all, Jim? (laughs) Yes. In our busy lives, finding love can be hard. Many have turned to apps, but one man who just moved to Texas decided that he wanted to try something a little out of the box. In the corner house of not-so-busy Georgetown Street, you'll find a busy man named James Jim Bays. He is a 66-year-old who has made his living building homes. I'm a spec builder, said Bays. Death by 10,000 cuts, that's what being a contractor building houses is. (laughs) But now, after moving to Texas six months ago from Washington State, he's hoping to to build something more important. I'm looking for love, he said. I'm just way too busy, and where do I get at my age, where do I go, excuse me, at my age to meet ladies that are all on the same page with me? How do you weed through all that and get to the point where you know she's single, I'm single, and we can talk about things? How he's going about finding love takes us to the side of the Highway 29 29 <laughs> near Bert, Bert Tram. I love this. I, pil- I put a billboard up to bring in enough ladies so that I have enough meetings that I can find the glove that fits the hand. So that's what I'm looking at. He's been married twice before and has five kids, but now he's looking for his next partner, someone to vacation with when work slows down. Bay says that this gave him the best bet for a chance encounter. The billboard went up in late October. October, Because ultimately, I'm looking for a friend, a woman friend, but I'm not looking for love. We're programmed like that, he said. I'm going to get to the finish line, so there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. So basically, Jim is like, I want myself a piece, yeah, right. but I want her to leave afterwards. <laughs> and I want us all to be okay with that. And we're going to be very cool with this. And if this billboard does not, you know, show you that. <laughs> yes. I love I love Jim. His billboard says, it's got his picture and he is wearing a cowboy hat. Oh my, oh my gosh. I love he it. straight out of... Can we? Can you zoom in? Oh my god! Mama's eyes are bad. There you go. He's adorable. He's like a little cowboy. He's straight out of Yellowstone. I oh right for there sh- for sure. It says wanted a good woman, fifty to fifty-five ish. Excuse me, Jim, <laughs> but you are in your late sixties, sir. <laughs> he, he's going younger. For, Not surprised. Uh huh. Typical yeah, cowboy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
for and it said for or it says excuse me for talks and walks and mutual acts of kindness okay we know mutual acts of kindness <laughs> we get, we get we what, know you're what saying. that means mutual button our heads against the headboard <laughs> but not too hard because i am 66 years old and you gotta be you gotta go home afterwards <laughs> obviously so here's the number ladies 512 763 6187. Can you say that again, please? I'm going to put it in my phone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Oh, he is so, that is just adorable. And he says that the billboard is going to stay up until he finds the right person. You know what? I, so, I'm inspired. Instead of waiting around for love to find him, look at that confidence. He's like, I am taking charge. I love, I am going to get to the finish line. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. He's I'm going to get into those panties, you 55-year-old. 50 to 55-ish. That's, that's he's actually getting what it said. 50 ish. to 55-ish. Like, I will take 55 if I have to. If I have to, but I prefer 50. A full 16 years younger yes. than me. Yes, yes. Damn it, Jim Bays is worth it. <laughs> he is the cutest oh thing. Oh my God. I love that he put this billboard up. Me too. And I feel like woman, women everywhere should feel empowered to do the same. I do. I mean, we just put a cute... Look at him up there with his plaid shirt and cowboy hat. I want colored lights on mine, though. We're going bougie. We, you and need flashy, for sure. Fairy. I want you wearing a boa. I want leopard print. Tasteful cleavage. Yes, just a yep. little. Just show, just a little hint of what you got to offer. I want leopard print on my board, like the billboard, yeah. like screaming, look yes. at me, like call yeah. me. Leopard print always says I'm classy. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> And with the lights, I mean, of course, love will be knocking. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> that's a lifetime commitment, right there, for sure. Oh my gosh, that is just—that uh, is I, the best. I loved that. So thank yes, you, adorable to the listener. You know who you are. I didn't want to use your name without permission, and so. Thank you very much, and we hope you guys keep it curious, keep listening. Send us funny brain brainwashes from yes. your area. <laughs> I love well. it when people send them. Me too. We're on all the socials, and we have Messenger on all the socials, or crimecurious at yahoo.com. So, yeah. Till next time, everyone. Bye-bye. And remember, Jim's out there waiting for love. He knows you have his number. <laughs> Dude.